0: it's lifeline with craig roberts he's the host of northern california's longest running conservative talk show he's a man with a message a conservative with compassion he's lifeline's own craig roberts
1: good afternoon welcome 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 it is friday the fourth of may and uh, trust you're having a great week and looking forward to a great weekend as well We look forward to spending the time with you this afternoon as you make your way home. And as we lead off today's program, we're going to get a look at what's been going on in the world of money. My goodness, there's been very positive news all this week in relationship to what's happened with Apple stock buybacks and great numbers in the unemployment range. And yet, in spite of all of this, Continued nervousness on Wall Street. Why is that? Well let's get some insights now. Thirty plus year retirement planning specialist money manager Pat Vitucci from Vitucci and Associates joins us. Well the big news pat this week, of course, the Federal Reserve deciding to hold interest rates steady. Policymakers midweek wrapped up the May meeting, leaving the Fed's benchmark interest rate between one and a half percent and one and three quarter percent. This, of course, kind of surprised, I think, Wall Street observers because it had been anticipated to address the issue and concerns over inflation that they would take the rate up yet again. They have decided to hold things down. You would have thought that they would have been opening the champagne bottles on Wall Street, but in fact, the reaction was a little bit different.
2: How so? You know, sometimes the markets just don't make a lot of sense. You would think, okay, with that decision and profit season has been extremely lucrative, something like 85% of companies reporting have beat estimates. Why is the market reacting the way it has? It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. And therein lies the emotion of the day sprinkle in politics which from a political point of view you would say wow trump's going to meet with kim jong-un of north korea and south korean president moon of course iraq is now getting into the uh, top story in the six o'clock news and so despite the 400 billion dollars president obama gave him 150 billion in cash could you imagine being on that plane craig when they flew 150 billion dollars pellets full of dollars, went over $150 billion. And of course, they're accused now of not following the uh, agreement. So despite all that, it was generally a pretty good news week. And yet the market went down a bunch of those days. And it just doesn't make sense. Is this nine-year bull market just running out of positive psychology and it's getting fatigued? It's the second longest bull market in the history of America. If it goes till July of 19, a year and a few months from now, it will be the longest bull market in the history of America. Therein lies the psychology of this market. Maybe it's just getting tired, running out of steam. It's time to get a little bearish. We shall see what some of the rudimentary signals continue to look like. But this... Earning season with 85% of the companies beating expectations, jobs are coming in superlatively healthy, unemployment numbers are at all-time lows. I can't imagine a better collection of good news and then sprinkling this Federal Reserve announcement that they didn't raise rates because inflation is only around 2%, which is a very tenable number. Craig, what's wrong with this picture? What's the psychology of the of the market uh, looking like?
1: And this really makes it difficult for any analyst to try to understand because we could have talked five years ago and said, "Gee, the markets are doing well, but many of the fundamentals are weak. The price earnings ratios are all off. This simply doesn't make any sense." Fast forward to today, where you've got big corporations like Apple saying, "Hey, early Christmas gift for all of our shareholders." billion stock buyback going to take place. You're looking at strong earnings reports. Inflation seems to be under control. A lot of companies reporting certainly good news. We saw over 200,000 workers added to private payrolls during the month of April. A lot of companies are beating analyst estimates. And yet, In spite of the fact that all the fundamentals are extremely strong, there's a lot of people that just kind of look at this and yawn and say, nah, go ahead and sell. I don't get it. I really don't.
2: Just the Apple announcement, Craig, $100 billion worth of shares. It's the biggest corporate buyback in the history of the world. And on top of that, they announced a 16% increase in their dividends. How about CVS? Their numbers were superlative as well. Their first quarter profit, $998 million or 98 cents a share on revenue of $45.7 billion. These are astronomical numbers. I'm not sure how much more superlative these numbers can be that would normally propel the Dow to get excited about that and say, wow, let's go and reach new levels. I mean, this past week, it hit correction territory. So is this a buying opportunity? It depends on your time frame. Even mortgage applications, they're down a little bit. Interest rates are up to, what, 4.8% on a 30-year fixed mortgage. Is that the quiet news that's kind of spooking everybody? Housing has been on a tear, and we need to build a whole lot more homes to accommodate housing formations of young people. But they did hit their highest rate in about five years at 4.8%. We've been used to, you know, 3.2, 3.5 percent. That may be a little bit of an inkling to suggest why markets are getting a little, little nervous. But even 4.8 historically, Craig is for the last hundred years. That's still a pretty attractive number.
1: Even with the high interest rates in a market like San Francisco, I just read the other day the smallest. Cheapest home listed in the city of San Francisco, $699,000 for this little pre-earthquake bungalow. And when I say earthquake, I don't mean the 89, I mean the 06. They're estimating the property will sell over $1.2 million. Somebody just come in with a bulldozer and start from scratch, which for a house that has barely 600 square feet certainly makes sense. But you look at the psychology of what's driving real estate, and certainly even with the interest rates that have been sort of quietly eking up inch by inch here over the last year and a half two years that hasn't scared off investors in a city like san francisco
2: i guess the other rudimentary signal that we're watching is oil oils is up 72 bucks a barrel that's a really a tax on all of us when it gets up to 72 dollars. it's been under 50 for years the good news oil production in this country is up 25 percent in the past couple of years i think we're doing something like uh ten and a half million barrels a day when have you ever heard of us doing 10 and a half million barrels a day uh, Craig that's pretty good numbers but at 73 bucks uh, we can afford to do the uh, fracking where the cost of fracking is now reasonable when you can get 73 dollars a barrel when it's under50 dollars the whole fracking technology doesn't cover it over 10 million barrels a day is a pretty impressive number. That may be the uh, little bit of a, a negative news that's giving some investors some some source of, of, of worry.
1: Market news and analysis. A look at what's going on in the world of money this week as it relates to your financial life. Our conversation with Pat Vitucci of Don't Invest and Forget. will continue after we get you a quick update on traffic. By the way, a quick reminder, if you'd like to catch Pat's program, it can be heard Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. on our sister station, Business Radio 1220, KDOW. All right, here's that timeout. A look at traffic. Back with more on the Friday edition of Lifeline from KFAX.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome back to this edition of Lifeline on this Friday, May the 4th. Spending some time with 30 plus year retirement planning specialist, money manager Pat Fettucci, talking a bit about uh, some of the odd anomalies that have happened in Wall Street and the world of money this past week. As we mentioned before the break, some superlative numbers in many arenas. And yet, in spite of, quite frankly, some. Best news we've seen in many years, continued jitterness, nervousness on Wall Street. What does that mean to you, somebody trying to plan for retirement? And we kind of drill down now on some of those issues, Pat. What's the ultimate watchword? What is the takeaway here for the casual investor, the guy that's got money put aside on an IRA or a 401K and is simply working his or her way toward retirement as they look at what's going on on Wall Street and, quite frankly, the mixed signals that are being sent, strong fundamentals and yet a lot of volatility in the markets, what's the takeaway for investors?
2: Well, volatility has certainly been the watchword in the last several years since President Trump's been elected. The markets is way up and maybe it got a little bit ahead of itself. But if you've got time on your side and when we go through these corrections, you got to look at it. In most cases, as a buying opportunity. So, you buy more stocks when they're on sale. So, clearly, if you're retired, you want to have less exposure to equity markets and more income driven portfolio design. And you don't want to go on that roller coaster ride because it gets pretty stressful when the market goes into correction territory. You say, wow, is this the beginning of a 2008? mess. Craig, that's still not too many years ago. It's still fresh in a lot of people's mind when they lost upwards of 40 or 50 percent of their 401k. When you're newly retired, you don't want to have to live through that kind of a major correction. And so that is always a source of worry for that pre-retiree or retiree. If you're 30 something or 40 something years old, you should really be oblivious. Although I was talking to a, a millennial last night, Get very squeamish when the markets go down. And you would think when you're 20 or 30 years old, you wouldn't be as anxious about that. But there's a trust issue, I guess, a lack of understanding of the long range impact of the performance of the stock market in the long run. And clearly, when you're young, you, you almost don't care. In fact, you'd rather see the market go down. You're buying more shares at a lesser price. Again, all driven by the demographics of what you subscribe to, your need for income this month. But it's interesting to note that all this good news can aggregate into the Dow Jones going down. It's just nonsensical weeks that sometimes it's an opportunity to take advantage of that emotion in the market and go the opposite way if you are so inclined, if your money personality can tolerate that kind of direction of the market and, you're, and you decide to go the other way, it takes some confidence to make that decision.
1: I guess it comes down to a matter of the sleep factor. What sort of formula is the best fit for an individual based on their goals, appetite, for risk, timeline to retirement. You can certainly never open the envelopes and uh, just hope for the best. Or you can be one of those nervous Nellies that is watching this minute by minute and uh, wringing their hands in anxiety-filled nervousness when they see the volatility, particularly intraday, when we're now in a day and an age when up three, down four inside of a single trading session is not altogether unusual. For people that are concerned that perhaps the formula that they have in place, the structure of their retirement plan, is not perhaps in harmony with that sleep factor, what should they do?
2: Well, pretty simple. Come into any one of our offices, we can create a comprehensive financial plan driven by their money personality, diagnose their current allocations diagnose the expenses associated with that plan. It's all about diversification, allocation. What percent do you have in each of the variety of sectors? What's it costing you? Are you actively reallocating based on opportunities that exist today as they always will be, but they will always be different? Many times from quarter to quarter, the markets change that quickly, that radically, and failure to understand The difference between large cap value and large cap growth or small cap value and small cap growth can have dramatic differences in performance. And so people say, well, I'm in the stock market and it didn't do that well. Well, what part of the stock market? Large companies, small companies, midsize? Were you in value? Were you in growth? Any one of those subsets, Craig, can have a dramatically different performance result. And so you can't paint it with a broad brush and say, I'm in the U.S. stock market. Well, that's wonderful. What portion and where were you last quarter and where do you want to be next quarter? And I think that's that deft touch that we attempt to bring to the table and we've been doing it for many, many years.
1: This is very customized approach, isn't it? And I ask that question because it's odd, Pat. For so many people, it's all about me. They want custom cars, custom houses, custom vacations. And yet, ironically, when it comes to something as critical as their retirement plan, they're happy to settle for their cubicle makes retirement strategy. If they overhear that they did really good on Wall Street in a particular stock, they say, well, give me the name of that stock. And suddenly they're just in lockstep with the next door neighbor at work who might be 30 years younger, and have an entirely different plan for retirement. And so it's interesting how we'd like to have things all about me in so many areas, but when it comes to retirement planning, people tend to settle for second best.
2: Copying your neighbor, your brainiac brother-in-law's asset mix or great ideas without understanding your fundamentals of who you are financially, what your debt load is, what your income is, your marginal tax bracket, your age, all those basic fundamental uh, metrics that we measure and diagnose the level of risk to take cannot be compared to your cubicle mate, your brother-in-law, your best friend, your girlfriend, your spiritual advisor, (laughs) whoever you take financial advice from really needs a unique customized approach that fits you, the financial fabric of who you are. And so I think that really is the test that we are measured by is understanding who you are specifically and not comparing to anybody else. Because rarely are we like any of those people I just named from a financial planning point of view. And you're not going to ask your best friend or your coach or whoever you take financial advice from, they're not going to ask you what the balance of your mortgage is and how much do you earn and how much is in your 401k. And Those are all personal questions. And so you get this high level glossy view uh, at 30,000 feet and and you don't drill down and look at the rudiments of the numbers and you get this mismatch. On our website, there is a program called Riskalyze and you can actually go in there and it will identify from a scientific point of view what your risk number is today. Every position you own has what's called a ticker symbol and you put that ticker symbol into that software and it will say, okay, you are a ninety ten person, meaning you have ninety percent of your money in stock markets and ten percent in fixed income. If that's consistent with your thinking, that's great. Congratulations. You are in sync. But in so many cases we find people say, well I'm conservative, and we find out that they're actually what they're holding is does not coincide with that thinking. So go to our website, don't invest and forget, and go to our portion Determining your risk—it's called risk riskalyze. If you're surprised by that number, give us a call. We'd be glad to sit down with you and review how to correct and align your money personality with your risk number.
1: All right. Well, if folks want to take advantage of that, Pat's website, by the way, is don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don't invest and forget com. We invite you to catch this program, by the way. Heard Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. with a reprise broadcast Monday evenings at 6 on our sister station, Business Radio 1220 KDOW. So be sure to check that out. As always, Pat, we appreciate the time and the insights here on this Friday edition of Lifeline. All right. A brief timeout. We'll get you updated on some traffic. Back with more right here on KFAX.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: It is an alarming statistic and one that both regionally in the San Francisco Bay Area and nationally is growing by an alarming rate. Would you be shocked to discover that approximately one out of three women, about 35% of the U.S. female population, at some time in their life has been the victim of domestic violence? Oftentimes, the violence takes forms beyond just simple verbal or physical altercations, sexual violence. Oftentimes, it spills into other areas of the family where even the children become victims. Women quite often are left with no other option but to run. But then in the running, the question becomes, where? Where do you go? Going to a friend's house, maybe a relative? Well, The abusive partner or husband knows where they live. They just simply follow and bring the abuse with them. What options are available for women who find themselves victims of domestic abuse and violence, where they can go, find a place that can be loving, sheltering, give them an opportunity to get their life back on track again, all the while also welcoming their children? Joining me today in studio is the Executive Director of Shepherdsgate Ministries, and Steve McCree, welcome to the program. Thank you. I guess the big answer to that question is, where do they go? What options do these women have? One answer is, indeed, Shepherd's Gate.
3: Absolutely, Craig. Uh, we've seen over 10,000 women and kids come and live at Shepherd's Gate over the years, and uh, every one of them that has come through has has found a relationship pretty much with Jesus Christ, and that just totally transforms their lives. This ministry is
1: a real grassroots ministry in every uh, sense of the term, isn't it? I mean, I, I think of the beginnings. This began as one woman with one house with one burden to help women that were facing crisis circumstances. And this has grown into a ministry now 25, 30 years later that, as you say, has impacted the lives of tens of thousands of women and their families. That's fairly remarkable.
3: That's correct. It's it's totally been totally God. And um, started a little three bedroom house, 16 women in a very short term program. We couldn't help them very long. And it's grown just in the past few years to two campuses, 90 women and children can live at a time. And the services, like there's 42 different classes we give them, all Bible-based. Their lives are literally transformed. When you see someone come in the door, um, the beautiful thing to me is they can come in literally black and blue, uh, certainly hopeless in their eyes. Uh, The kids are dragging their their one little toy behind them or whatever, all their belongings with them. And they've escaped, and they're not—don't know what they're escaping to. And sometimes they first walk in and see the beauty that God's provided there in the, the actual physical buildings, they just weep and realize how much God loves them and how much the community, how many caring people there are. Because with no government support, it's all people in the community, and that's the way we uh, exist.
1: You know, the irony is we, we hear of these statistics, 35% of women— at some time in their life will become victims of domestic violence of one sort or another. And, of course, we know on the, the severe end of that continuum are women that are dealing with circumstances where the husband is physically abusive, sexually abusive, maybe is dealing with a drug or alcohol problem. That spills over into now abusing the children. Women oftentimes are fleeing these circumstances. No sense of what they're running to. They just know what they're running from and feel as if there's no one that cares, no one that can help them. They're afraid to go f- to the authorities because oftentimes the the husband or the boyfriend is saying, you know, if you tell anybody, I'll kill you, or I'm going to kill somebody else in your family. So yes. they're, they're they're having to face a tremendous amount of uncertainty, into which then, as they finally make up the courage, find the the it within themselves to flee. Oftentimes, right at the skin of their teeth, there have been cases of women that have changed their mind at the last minute and wound up dead. Yes. But now as they've flown out of that circumstance, they've got no resources. The husband's shut down access to the checking account. There's no credit card. They might be full-time mothers that have no marketable skills. Where do you go? What relative do you call and say, by the way, not only do I need to get away from my abusive partner, but now I got a couple of young kids with me. And so in that sense, then Shepherd's Gate has really become kind of a an oasis for these women, hasn't it?
3: Absolutely. With the intensive programs and with the love of God, uh, again, they get everything they need to rebuild their lives for them and their kids. And then also uh, stops the cycle of abuse. And you're talking about the abuse that can happen. Shepherd's Gate really takes in women and kids that are homeless for any reason. Much of that is domestic violence. Uh, One form of abuse is abandonment. One gal came in with five kids, because her husband had taken the bank account, everything they owned, and she's on the streets. And within two months, uh, her life was completely turned around. She didn't know Christ when she came in, neither did her children. One by one, they found the Lord, and their, dis- their um, entire demeanor changed so much. She knew there must be a, really a God for their kids to change that much. Yeah, she had a house and a job within three months of coming to us. So they're not only
1: rescued from often very dangerous circumstances— they're given a sense of hope, in some cases hope for the very first time. You were mentioning to me, Steve, off the air of the story of one woman who had been involved in the Shepherds' Gate program for a while now, who literally, in, in the middle of a, of a gathering, stopped and was crying and was expressing the fact that at that moment, she was experiencing genuine, unconditional love, For the very first time in her life. And this is a woman in her 40s.
3: Yes. She's about 45 years old and just began bawling during our, actually yesterday's Bible study. Wow. My wife and I were giving. And she just said, It's the first time I've ever had love, experienced love from anyone, much less to understand that God loves me. And she said, You know, it's the first time I've ever been happy in my life. And It's the first time I've ever loved myself. Mm.
1: There's something different about the approach that Shepherds Gate takes. I mean, there are plenty of women's shelters. We know about them. You can go online and you can find a whole (coughs) list of them in the San Francisco Bay Area. You can go to the Yellow Pages and find them. Finding a shelter is one thing. Finding home, finding family is something entirely different as you look at the programs and services offered by Shepherd's Gate. Distill down, if you would, Steve, for our listeners, what's the one single difference about Shepherd's Gate from any of the other secular programs that are out there?
3: It is saturated with the love of God and the Word of God, and they learn that they um, have a Creator who has a purpose for their life. Uh, Our belief is that most of the women that come through our doors had a call in their life, a purpose to fulfill by God, and that the enemy tried to take them out. And when they learn that they were created for a purpose and have a purpose, then we wrap, as I said before, about 42 different types of classes and programs, anything from job interviewing to parenting skills to budgeting, in with all the biblical principles they learn and the relationships that they, they gain, it changes their life. Totally. It stops the cycle, as you mentioned. It stops the cycle, totally. It gives them a brand new start. It four generations. We've got one lady came in, and there's four generations in her family that were all touched by Shepherds Gate. Wow. One young man was with us when he was five years old. He's now in his late 20s and is a pastor. And his brother was also with us when he was three years old. He and his wife now started a Christian camp up mm-hmm. in the Sierras. So it's just beautiful to see generational change.
1: And, and it demonstrates the power of the impact of change lives through Jesus Christ. It also demonstrates this ongoing sense that as much as the beginning days with Alice Ann that were part of this grassroots burden to do something, that that sense of grassroots community involvement continues to this day. People come, they volunteer, they conduct Bible studies with the women, training classes. You have churches that come in and volunteer, individuals that donate and support the ministry financially and prayerfully and, and by other ways. So I guess in a real sense that the original family feeling that was so much of what Shepherd Gate was about in the beginning has continued on to this day and that with the component of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ has really has been the then the, the driving force of what's allowed this ministry to impact so many lives.
3: We do try to keep it home. The buildings are structured to be they're, they're very large houses, they're 11 bedrooms, but they are their homes. And so the women feel uh, security there. They don't feel like they're in an institution. Uh, certainly not in the shelter. They feel like they're home. And even the kids, um, instead of being ashamed to say they're going to the shelter on Portola, they say, "I live in that big mansion on Portola," and they're proud to tell the other kids <coughs> at school that. So it, it's just the self-esteem is just goes out of the roof, both on the facilities and in the home feel, and they stay. Uh, the families stay connected with us long after they're gone. They come back and volunteers. We have many of them that we hire as employees, both at our thrift stores, and they also become um, house moms and work on the campus and help ladies that were in the same condition they were. So
1: the impact is not only widespread, multi-generational, long-lasting. In fact, I, at the core, we could say the impact is eternal, Good Yes, it is. Yeah, from a spiritual standpoint. If folks want to come by and visit... Uh, It's kind of one of those things where you need to see it and experience. People say, gee, I I love the sound of a ministry like that, and boy, I'd love to get involved. Our church would love to maybe come down and volunteer. We'd like to get behind the ministry financially. Uh, In a real sense, uh, seeing is believing, isn't it?
3: Absolutely, and we love people to come visit. Uh, If they just call the office, 443-4283, 443-GATE uh make an appointment we'll definitely have staff there to lead them i'd love to lead them through uh and meet the people uh so we'd, we'd love to have guests
1: And, of course, if you'd like to find out more about ShepherdsGate, you can get details on the web by simply going to shepherdsgate.org. That's shepherdsgate.org. You have campuses both in Brentwood and in Livermore. That's correct. And so if somebody would say, hey, boy, this sounds like something we'd like to get behind and support, they can call, come out, visit one of the two campuses, both if they'd like, and, of course, uh, get a chance to discover more about this dynamic ministry that's been changing women's lives and impacting those for Christ right here in the Bay Area. Details, again, on the web at shepherdsgate.org. That's shepherdsgate.org. And our thanks to Steve McRee, Executive Director of ShepherdsGate. Steve, thanks for dropping by. Thank you. It's a pleasure.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome to The Conversation. Joining us today in studio is the Senior Pastor of Cummings Park Church in Menlo Park, Pastor Memphis Latcheson, who also hosts the program So Loved, heard Sunday evenings at 9 p.m. right here on KFAX. We'll tell you a bit more about the program a little bit later on in our conversation. Meanwhile, Pastor Latcheson, great to have you with us today.
4: Glad to be here.
1: Thanks. You are a Bay Area kid, born and raised, I understand, originally from uh, Pittsburgh.
4: That's correct. Uh, I was actually born in Martinez and, and, and raised in Pittsburgh. I uh, graduated from Pittsburgh High School, and so I'm definitely a, a Bay Area kid for sure.
1: Graduate from Pittsburgh High School, and uh, you also spent some time, I understand, back in uh, Atlanta. You uh, you got your degree in sociology at Morehouse College.
4: Yeah, yeah, great experience. Uh, wouldn't change that for the world. Um, went to, to college in 1997. Graduated. Took me a little longer than what I expected, but graduated 2002. Uh, had a great experience there. Uh, that's definitely where God um, showed me my call on my life, and and and
1: really spoke to me about pastoring. Some folks would say, gee, a pastor with a degree in sociology. Well, that makes a lot of sense, (laughs) given the human condition and the challenges that we all face. Was that something that was intentional in terms of deciding to study sociology heading into full-time ministry?
4: Well, not necessarily. Um, I actually kind of started off thinking I wanted to go into poli-sci and maybe even go the lawyer route, Mm -hmm. you know. But um, after taking a few so sociology classes, I thought, wow, and really studying the, the, the subject, I thought that, wow, this would be a great way to uh, learn about um, different types of groups of people and how uh, they operate, um, how we uh, distinguish between them, um, and then apply that to the church. Because uh, within the church, you're going to have a lot of different types of groups of people. And so that was kind of my logic there, just learning to study different types of groups of people so that way I can apply that somehow to the church. Um, and then not to mention, you know, also that um, Martin Luther King graduated from Morehouse College, and mm-hmm. uh, I was a big, always a big fan of his, and he studied sociology there. So that kind of also... Led me in that direction too. So this
1: is an interesting trajectory that the Lord has taken you down. I'll, I'll mention as an aside that you also have a degree, a master's degree in business administration from Keller Graduate School of Management. So sociology, interest in poli sci. You have mm-hmm. got a background in management, and mm-hmm. here you are as a full time pastor. And mm-hmm. some listeners right now must be thinking, "Wow, this is a, this is an interesting path that the Lord has has led you down." Give me the sense. When did uh, when did you start to begin to see sort of the the pieces fitting together and the Lord specifically calling you into ministry?
4: Yeah, so um specifically it, it happened um back in nineteen ninety-seven right after I graduated from high school. I, I kinda um like most high schoolers during that time after you graduate are kind of not really sure what you're gonna do. Um I had a couple of different options um and I, I actually Wanted to go to UC Davis originally to play basketball because I was a big basketball person, and um, that ended up not working out. Uh, got accepted into Morehouse College. Um, wasn't really sure I wanted to go that far away to Atlanta, um, but after speaking to a couple of my mentors, um, they, they kind of influenced me in that direction, said it would be a great opportunity. But um, the interesting thing is that I, I didn't um, have uh, money to go uh hadn't I'd say had more than just
1: r- interesting this is a big problem. <laughs> right, big problem. I was accepted,
4: but I didn't have any any scholarships, didn't have any money, um, really uh you know, hadn't really looked into financial aid either. I I think we had applied but hadn't really looked into that. But um I kinda really just went out there on faith because um I felt that God you know had spoke to me, this is where I want you to go. And so uh interesting, me and my mom just got on the plane, had never been there before. Uh, got to the airport, and um, when we got there, uh, we had taken a, a bus uh, to the school. And um, while I was there at the school, uh, I saw all these students lined up, and uh, they, they were being turned away if they didn't have their financial aid in order and if they uh, didn't have the money.
1: Wow. And so and you basically arrived with an app with an acceptance letter. That's it. And that's it. And that's wow. it.
4: Yeah. And so um, I really felt that God was you know, calling me to graduate from this school and attend this school. And I felt that I just needed to just speak with someone that could actually help and do something about my situation, maybe the president, somebody. Right. Um, but I got discouraged and I went back. Uh, we ended up going all the way back to the, the airport after seeing all these other young men being turned away. And uh, when I was at the airport, uh, interesting enough, I'm kind of giving you the short version. I saw um, three young ladies coming off the, the plane. And this is kind of, you know, going into detail about how I got called into the ministry. And um, these three young ladies, I kind of recognized them from uh, this Christian group called Out of Eden. And I used to listen to, to them quite a bit. And I said, wow, that looks like this, this this Christian group called Out of Eden. I spoke with them, told them why I was there. They end up um, t- encouraging me to 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 keep the faith and and go back to the school and, and see what God would do, um, and the thing about it was they happened to 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 go back and forth uh, to Pittsburgh, California, where I'm from, and they attended a church in Pittsburgh, and their father had lived in Pittsburgh. I had no idea, but we're meeting all the way in Atlanta, just happenstance, and. So they encouraged me to, to to go back to the school. So I told my mom, she ended up calling the school, talking with someone on the phone. The lady happened to be a Christian. And the lady said, you know what, I have just the person that, that can help you. We're gonna send a Morehouse van over there to pick you up and bring you back. And so um, we ended up going back to the school. Long story short, I ended up speaking with the vice provost and saying to him, you know, sir, I don't have any money to go here. Um, but I know this is where God has called me to be. Um, and, you know, I'll work, I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do, you know, to, to pay for it. But as of right now, I don't I don't have any any money to go here. He said, son, you know, don't worry about it. We're going to make sure you graduate here from from school because we can see that you, you, you have purpose. And they end up giving me eight thousand dollars to start me off just free. That right there got me to a point to where, of course, I graduated, right? Um, But during that time, during my matriculation through that, I ended up really having some other experiences with God, too, that really allowed me to um, see that he had called me into the ministry. Um, And this was, you know, when I was about 18 years old. um, And um, one of the, the biggest things that was on my mind when going out there was that I needed to find um, a church home that I can get connected with. Because like so many college youth, when they go off, they fall away, right? But that was something I didn't want to happen. And I knew that one of the, the ways that I was going to not allow that to happen was to get connected to a good church. And so for a good part of my time, I was visiting churches, trying to figure out which one was the right one. And- good
1: collection there. Now, <laughs> <right. Sure.
4: laughs> yeah, yeah. So so long story short, you know, that, that, that whole um, time that I was there— um, God God really began to just grow me up and mature me for
1: ministry. If you've just joined our conversation today in studio, Pastor Memphis Lachison, He's senior pastor at Cummings Park Church in Menlo Park. Also the host of So Love, the broadcast heard Sunday evenings at 9 p.m. right here on KFAX. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation with Pastor Memphis Latcheson right after this